What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this on Monday, October 2nd. Today was actually NBA Media Day for most teams as we got to see all of the newly acquired players in their new uniforms, all the new coaches and whatnot talk about the outlook for the season. But we did have another big trade go down over the weekend. On Sunday, Drew Holiday was traded to the Boston Celtics, which was not a surprise at all. Uh, Most people knew that he was going to be rerouted from Portland as soon as that trade went down. We thought it might be a bit of a bidding war, but ultimately they wanted to get that deal done ASAP before training camp started. So no surprise it went down when it did. Uh, But just going to talk today about my reaction to that deal uh, as we head into training camp. So there were a lot of teams rumored to be interested in trading for a holiday and Really no big surprise there. He's the kind of guy that pretty much any team could use uh, just with how good he is on both ends of the floor. Um, And a guy that's pretty plug and play just in terms of fitting into a team. So especially if you're already a contending team that thinks he might be one piece away, he made a lot of sense. Uh, We know there was teams like the Clippers interested. The 76ers were mentioned. The Miami Heat. Even the Warriors were floated out there. I don't know how serious... uh, those rumors were, I, I know Chris Paul would have needed to be in that deal, so I don't know if they were ready to trade him again already. It would have been pretty brutal for him <laughs> going to Portland. Uh, but just starting off with this deal, so the Celtics, they got Drew Holiday. That's the only player or pick they got back, and then the Blazers got Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams the third, a 2024 first-round pick from the Warriors, which is actually top four protected, um, and that would become uh, unprotected in top 25 if it does not convey uh, but I assume that will, unless there's a disaster in Golden State this year. And then they also got a 2029 unprotected first from the Celtics. So ultimately, two first-round picks, two very solid rotation players uh, for Drew Holiday. And this just felt like a match made in heaven. I, I mentioned on my last podcast a couple of the teams that were interested, and I said that I thought the Celtics were the best fit. Um, he brings so much to this team. I mean... It, a lot of people had mixed feelings on the Marcus Smart and Porzingis trade. I was personally a fan uh, because I am not a big Marcus Smart guy. But this trade makes me feel even better about it because all of the things that you are going to miss uh, from Smart's game on Boston, Drew Holiday makes up for pretty much all of them, and he's basically a better version. I mean, both of them are elite perimeter defenders. Um, I actually might lean holiday as a better defender i know marcus smart did win defensive player of the year so not taking anything away from him but drew's just been doing it so consistently for so long um and if you hear players talk about other guys in the league he's one of the first guys mentioned in terms of uh, tough defenders to go against and we've seen it firsthand both in the regular season and in the playoffs particularly in the 2021 finals against the suns um on top of that he's a, a very very solid playmaker i mean this is a guy that's Averaged over seven assists last season. He's hovered right around uh, six to seven pretty much his entire career. I mean, uh, his breakout year was 2013. That year he averaged eight a game, and he's averaged no less than six uh, in any season since then. So he's been a pretty consistent playmaker for every team he's been on. He's also a very reliable ball handler. He takes care of the ball. Um, Obviously, as a point guard, you're going to have some uh, turnovers, but He's generally not a sloppy or um, sporadic player on that front. 
And that is much unlike Marcus Smart. So on top of him bringing all those things to the table that like Smart does, Smart is a pretty good playmaker. He's a decent ball handler and uh, a great defender, obviously. But Holiday, on top of that, is a phenomenal decision maker. Um, he's not going to be sporadic with the ball, like I said. He's not going to take bad shots. He's not going to force things. These are all things that Marcus Smart did time and time again. Felt like the ball always ended up in his hands in the most important moments. And I know it drives Celtics fans crazy. Um, but Drew is much more of a guy that's going to take his shots in the flow of the offense. He's not going to try to <laughs> play hero ball, which we've seen Marcus Smart do. He takes care of the ball. And most importantly, he is a much, much better shooter than Marcus Smart. Just to put it in perspective, Marcus Smart's career field goal percentage from anywhere on the court is lower than Drew Holiday's three-point percentage over the past three years. So <laughs> Holiday has been right around a 40% shooter since coming to Milwaukee. Um, his averages have bumped way up from what they were earlier in his career, and a lot of that probably has to do just playing on a better team with better players like Giannis. Um, but on the Celtics, he's going to have similar support from an offensive standpoint. So I think that a lot of those percentages will hold. Um, I don't think he's going to revert back to the more inefficient seasons he's had in the past. Um, but that was a huge con for Marcus Smart on this team. He was just inefficient. I mean, he shoots 38%, 39% from the field for his career. He's never even shot um, above 42%, and he's only shot that number once. He's been below that every other part of his career. So Holiday's just, he's more efficient. He's more reliable of an offensive score. He's, he's a better uh, shot creator for himself. I mean, Smart can do a little bit of that, but it's kind of one of those things where I don't think you really want him doing that most of the time. Um, whereas Holiday's a lot more proven on that front. Um, this this move obviously does come with some risk. I mean, Holiday is 33 years old now, so he's certainly um, on the tail end of his prime at, at the very least. And I've mentioned this time and time again, but he has been truly, truly bad on offense in the playoffs. With the Bucks. he's sub-40% from the field across the last three seasons in the playoffs, only 30% from three. Um, so, I mean, he's really shot like Marcus Smart in the playoffs, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Bucks were asking him to do a lot. I mean, we know Giannis has had his some struggles in the playoffs. We've also seen him be phenomenal, obviously. Um, but in late shot clock situations, half court situations, it hasn't exactly been... Um, great results consistently for him. And so he's had to rely on Middleton and Holiday to step up in those situations. In terms of who's been like the number two option on Milwaukee consistently between Holiday and Middleton, I think it's a toss-up. I think they kind of take turns. It was kind of 2A and 2B to an extent. Um, but at, at the worst, he was always at least the number three option. And often he was the number two option, particularly last year when H Middleton was coming back from injury. And then the year before that, Middleton was injured in the playoffs. So Holiday was the number two option. Um, but regardless, he's had the pressure of a number two to an extent. But now at absolute best, he's going to be the third option. And on, on a lot of nights, he's probably going to be the fourth option. I mean, you know, Tatum's going to be the number one on this team. Jalen Brown averaged nearly 27 a game last year on a, a pretty efficient shooting from the field. So we know what he can do as a number two option. So in terms of how Holiday fits in here, I think him and Porzingis, I think some nights <laughs> Holiday is going to only score six, seven points because that's all he's going to need to do if Porzingis is out there getting 20 plus. On other nights, Porzingis might have off shooting nights and they might need Drew to step up. There might be nights where uh, either Brown or Tatum aren't having a good night and they want either Drew or 
uh, Porzingis to step up, and Drew's certainly capable. Um, but I just think that his offense is going to be so much less relied on in Boston than it was in Milwaukee. So I'm not particularly worried for those shooting splits. A lot of those uh, percentages are reflected in him having to create offense for himself, um, shooting more isolation type shots because the Bucks just didn't have other guys that could do that. Whereas with Boston, Tatum's one of the absolute best in the league at doing that. And Brown is also quite good uh, uh, for a number two, at least doing that. So there's going to be way less pressure on him to do that. Um, I think he's really just going to have to go in there, fit in, take care of the ball, set up his teammates, shoot open shots. He's going to get a lot of open shots, even more so than he did in Milwaukee, I would think, just because of the pecking order in Boston. Um, in terms of just Boston overall, I think this is just such a win, in my opinion. Um, they have had a just glaring, glaring weakness at the point guard position for years now. And I don't even necessarily mean that the they've had bad point guards, but just the fit of the team. I mean, Marcus Smart is not a true point guard. Um, he's so inefficient, like I said. He, he makes bad decisions consistently. And then even before them, him, they had Kemba Walker, who... Again, a score-first guy, just not a guy who's going to make a super concerted effort to set up his teammates on top of being a major defensive liability. Um, And then even before that, Kyrie, Isaiah Thomas, all guys that were score-first, shoot-first, not really known for their um, distributing or playmaking for others, and in their own right, like not great defenders as well. So (laughs) Brown and Tatum, they've played with shoot first point guards. They played with not great defensive point guards. They played with um, point guards who just aren't very good offensively, like in smart and drew kind of checks all the boxes of what they need. I mean, he is, I think in general, a pass first guy. I mean, we've seen him average up to eight assists a game. He's never been a 20 point per game scorer really. So um, that's not really something that he makes a huge effort in, but it's something he can do. He's, he's a better scorer, better shooter, um, than Smart. He's a better playmaker, better defender than Kemba or Kyrie or any other iteration of this team that we've seen. So he just checks all the boxes and by far the Celtics' biggest weakness over the, the past few seasons has just been when the shot clock is low or it's half-court situations, the game is slowed down. The Celtics just... Brown and Tatum have come a long way, but they just have not been consistently good enough at making sure that Boston gets good looks. Tatum can go get a shot for himself anytime he wants, um, but you can't rely on that for 48 minutes in a playoff game. So um, Holiday is going to be much better, just making sure they get good looks, something that they really haven't had. Also, their their top six is just easily the best in the league right now. I don't even think it's much of a debate between now Holiday, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Porzingis, and then Al Horford. I don't know if White's going to come off the bench or Horford will come off the bench, but either way, I mean, that starting five is ridiculously good. I mean, they literally one through five all are at least above average defenders. And in the case of like Derek White or Drew Holiday, they're phenomenal defenders. Al Horford also has been one of the absolute best in the league at guarding the um, score first big men in the league like Embiid. Um, Embiid's stats have been really bad against Horford, particularly in the in the playoffs. Um, all five, one through five, can handle the ball. I mean, Horford is a great ball handler for his size. Um, Porzingis, I wouldn't say great ball handler, but obviously he's a shot creator in his own right, so he certainly can do that a little bit. Um, obviously, all the guards can do that as well. Um, all of these guys can go get a shot for themselves. Horford, maybe not as much, um, but we saw in the playoffs at times Derek White was, I mean, 
he was their third option for most of the, of the postseason last year. But on top of that, I mean, he was more reliable of a <laughs> shot creator than Jalen Brown was at times in the postseason last year. Um, so we know he can do that. Holiday has been doing that for years in both Milwaukee and New Orleans, all the way back to Philadelphia, honestly. We know Tatum and Brown are great shot creators. And then Porzingis um, just had one of his better seasons uh, on the offensive end from a um, shot creation in the post, uh, attacking off of the the closeout from the perimeter, all things that he uh, was very good at last season. And then on top of all that, all these guys can shoot. I mean, Horford was well over 40% from three last year. Derek White hasn't been phenomenal consistently in his career, but he did he did shoot a very respectable clip last year. And then we know Brown can shoot. We know Tatum can shoot. Holiday's been right around 40% over the last couple of years. Um, and then Porzingis has been one of the better floor stretchers we've had for a guy of his size um, over the last five years or so. So they all play defense. They all can handle the ball. They all can shoot. They all um, can go get a shot for themselves. And obviously – this does – their depth takes a hit here. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, I mean, in a vacuum, they basically traded Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and Marcus Smart for just Porzingis and Holiday. So they consolidated a lot of very solid role players into two higher-level players. In Holiday's case, a borderline all-star. Um, in Porzingis's case, maybe a, a, a little tier below that. I know he has made one all-star game, but it, it ha- he hasn't made one since his early days in New York. So I wouldn't quite call him an all-star caliber player yet, but he's got that kind of talent um, and he just hasn't really been in the right situation yet. So, but regardless, I mean, anytime you trade four for two, your depth's going to take a hit. They're going to be very reliant on go- on a lot of younger guys. Their seventh or 10 is going to be significantly worse. I mean, they've got Peyton Pritchard, Jordan Walsh, um, Sam Hauser, O'Shea Brissett, Luke Cornett. Not a lot of house and old names there. Uh, Pritchard has actually shot the ball pretty well throughout his career, and I, I do like him. Um, but I, I'm not sure how he'll hold up consistently in a playoff series, particularly on the defensive end. Jordan Walsh, uh, he looked really good in Summer League, but as we know, that is not something that <laughs> you can uh, take too much from. A lot of the time we see some players look really good in Summer League that turn out to be huge busts and we've seen their verse as well guys that look terrible that end up being really good so um he was second round pick he's got talent he was a high recruit for arkansas we'll see i think if he develops he's the kind of guy that could uh, probably is the best chance to carve out a spot in the rotation uh, just because he's a very very solid defender um he didn't shoot the ball great last year but at least he's um got a decent looking shot and has some offensive potential and he's not gonna have to do a ton on offense um if he's playing hauser very good three-point shooter, but doesn't do much else. He's really not a much of a defender, and um, I mean, he's just a spot-up shooter. So we'll see. He's got some size. Uh, I think he he will definitely have a bigger role for them next year. Brissett is young. Um, he's a maybe a three and D type potential player, um, but he hasn't shot the ball super well from outside. He's been pr- not terrible from out there, like about league average, but not done it in a huge volume. And then defensively, he's. Um, got some uh, tools i'll say but we haven't seen him do it consistently at a high level i mean he was barely even getting uh, minutes for the pacers last season and they weren't even very good so that's normally a telltale sign and then luke Cornett, i mean again he is a replacement level backup big man probably even more suited for a third string role so look those i don't know who those guys is going to play big minutes for them but someone's going to have to play some minutes um Pritchard definitely will get his fair share of minutes. It's pretty funny. He's been on like that rumored trade block for so long, yet he somehow 
<laughs> outlasted Smart Brogdon um, and like Kemba and all of them uh, on this team, which is pretty pretty funny. Um, like I said, I think Hauser definitely will have an immediate ro- role. I think Jordan Walsh could carve out a role if he can um, develop a little bit on the f- offensive end. Um, but honestly, depth is so um, subjective, how we say it. Because if you look at it, people think of the the Nuggets of being very deep last year. They played like seven guys in their rotation, sometimes eight. Christian Brown was getting not consistent minutes, but some minutes, and he was their eighth guy. They were consistently only playing seven guys. And so, like, Denver did have depth, but it wasn't depth in the six through eight. It was depth in the like three through six, if you will. So it's like outside of your top two guys, do you have good depth? And that's sort of more where they thrive. Where we've seen teams in the past with like the Nets, for example, um, when they had their big three, their their four, five, and six were really not good. It's not like their seven, eight was that bad. It's just that they didn't have any consistent guy after those. Um, whereas the Celtics do, like I said, I mean, after Brown and Smart, or sorry, Brown and Tatum, you've got, you've got a, a borderline all-star on holiday and then a, Guy who's been an all-star before, Porzingis, and is still theoretically in his prime based on his age. Um, and that's not even to mention Derek White and Horford, who are two of the absolute best role players you could ask for um, on a contending team, just in terms of what they bring on the defensive end and their uh, um, offensive creation, passing, shooting, whatnot. So they are deep in the sense of like their four, five, and six guys are <laughs> as good as anybody in the league, maybe the best. Um, but from seven on, it gets a little tough. So... That's where injuries are definitely going to be a thing to worry about, um, particularly uh, in their front court. So if Horford or Porzingis miss any time, they're going to be really thin. Cornette is already not a guy that they could probably count on to play big minutes, um, but he's going to be thrust into – he's already going to probably have to play a little, but he's going to be thrust into a, a, at least 15, 20 minutes a game if either of those guys miss time because they're just not going to have other options at center when the other one's out of the game. But I will say, I know Robert Williams, he brought a lot to this team. And that's that's a loss. Don't get me wrong. But speaking of injuries, I mean, this guy just could not stay on the court. He only played 35 games last year. He played 61 the year before that, 52 the year before that, 29 the year before that, and 32 the year before that. He's played above 60 games one time, and it was 61 games. Um, he's played under 40 games three out of his five seasons. And probably even more of an issue is that he can't play big minutes either. I mean, he's only 21 minutes per game for his career. He played only 23 and a half last season. He has 40 games in his entire career where he played 30 or more minutes. Um, and some of those were probably overtime games. So it's he can't he hasn't been able to stay on the floor at all. So I I. I know the value he brings. He is a tremendous defender, one of the absolute best um, at the big man position in the NBA. There's no doubt about it. He's a legitimate rim protector. He had an actual case for a defensive player of the year a couple years ago. If he'd played more games, he might have actually gotten some more votes for it. Um, But at the end of the day, he can't stay on the court. He's never averaged 10 rebounds before in a season. He's averaged 10 points per game only once. Um, He can't play big minutes. So I... He's been a frustrating player all to this point. So if if he's if we're going to be mad about Porzingis playing 50 games a year, I'm like that's probably what Robert Williams is only going to play anyway. 
Um, but I will say Horford is 37 now, and he was great last year. So at some point, he he is going to fall off. Um, a lot of people thought it might be last year, but it didn't end up being. So um, we will see there. And then additionally, Brogdon was also a huge injury risk. Um, I mean, similarly to Williams, he did play 67 games last year, which is actually the most he's played since his rookie season. But the years before that, 36 in 2022, 56 in 2021, 54 in 2020, 64 and 19 is not too bad, and then 48 in 2018. So he also has played only 65 games two times in his career, and once was last year and once was his rookie year. So going into last year, he hadn't played it since his rookie season. Um, And we saw this guy completely break down in the postseason last year. I mean, I remember being shocked that he was able to play as much as he did last year just because he has been – such an injury prone player and he even was coming out of college i mean he slipped pretty far in the second round during the draft and a lot of that was mostly juice just due to his medicals um but god i mean he he fell off a cliff in the playoffs by the time he got to the My, miami series i mean they couldn't even play him he couldn't shoot he, he was out there airballing shots just because he was so banged up um and not to mention that he was going to be traded to the Clippers in the uh, Porzingis trade instead of Smart, but they had to change that deal because the Clippers were terrified by his his physical. Um, so yeah, they traded two super injury-prone players, and now they certainly have some concerns just if there was injuries. Um, but that's always going to be a thing. So I, I'm just not really going to worry too much about that, especially if it's not your top guys. Like, look, is Anthony Davis ever going to play, stay healthy or look and LeBron in the same season? I don't know, but, um, that's less, more of a concern because it's their top two guys. Tatum and Brown have been durable. I'm not worried about them getting hurt. Holiday's been durable. So really it's just the big man rotation that they do have some question marks there. Um, but again, Horford has proven mostly that he's going to be healthy and still good. And Porzingis has, um, had a little bit more of a healthy, a couple years over the last few years, particularly last year, more so than he's had in years past. So to me, the Celtics are now the favorites in the East. Um, I said the Bucks were the favorites after the Dame trade, but I have swayed back to the Celtics now. Um, they just don't really have much of a weakness. All their top guys can defend. All of them can shoot. All of them can uh, play make to an extent. All of them can handle the ball. All of them can score. All of them are at least decent shot creators. I mean, uh, they're also going to get the best version of Drew Holiday and Porzingis, just in the sense that these guys have had a lot of pressure in the past to be go-to options, Um, particularly Drew when Middleton's been out, and then Porzingis when he was in Dallas was the clear number two. Um, Didn't really, that, that role didn't really suit him well. And then in Washington, he was one of the top options as well, but they just weren't very good with him there. So, with the two of these guys in tertiary, ancillary roles, I think both of them can absolutely thrive. Look, are they going to average as many points as they have in the past? Probably not, but they'll probably have their most efficient seasons because Drew is going to have way less pressure as a uh, isolation scorer. Uh, Porzingis is going to get probably fewer looks, but the looks he gets are going to be very good looks. He's going to shoot a lot of wide open threes. Um, he's going to be... Uh, just way less attention on him in the paint because they have to stay home on the guys on the outside. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see very efficient seasons out of both of them. Also, if we're talking from a value perspective, the pick they one the Warriors pick they traded to Portland in this deal was actually one that they received in the Porzingis deal. So 
if we're talking just net um, it picks from a, a offseason perspective, they have only they only had to trade one pick uh, to get uh, Porzingis and Holiday combined. So I love this for the Celtics. I've been saying I was going to love it if this happened. I it happened, and look, there are some risks. Robert Williams's loss is going to hurt. Their depth will certainly be worse, but ultimately. It is a stars league, star players win in this league. And I personally think that depth in your four through six is much more important than depth in your seven through ten. Um, as we just saw with the Nuggets last season, they never played a ninth or tenth guy when the when they actually were getting deep into the postseason. And I see no reason why the Celtics won't be able to do that as well as long as guys can stay healthy. And lastly, they've got assets still. They still have a ton of firsts they can trade. Um, they have a ton of second-round picks they can – they really have a lot of second-round picks they can trade. Um, and then they've got, uh, I mean, a lot of guys on their uh, – on movable deals, like Pritchard and, and a first-round pick and Jordan Walsh. Like, that's a pretty decent trade if they were trying to get somebody just to be a sixth, seventh man. So that's the other reason I'm not overly worried about the depth. If they get – 30 games into the season and their bench is atrocious and it's clearly an issue. They've got a move to make and there's not like the bucks. They don't have a move to make the Suns. They've got some second round picks, but no real contracts they can trade. They don't have a ton of moves to make. Um, and so it, it puts them in a really nice position if they're trying to just go get like a seventh man, for example, on a reasonable contract, they certainly can get that done. So, um, I think they're set up moving forward. I think they've got the best starting lineup in the NBA. I think they've got the best top six in the NBA. They've got the best four through six in the NBA. I think ultimately their destiny is probably going to come down to Tatum and Brown. Can these guys be a little bit more consistent down the stretch in uh, deep in the postseason? Um, and I think that they're going to be in the best position to do so, just given the support they have around them. Um, but no excuses for them anymore. Um, no excuses for Missoula. He's got all the talent he could want. He's finally got a decent coaching staff. Um, and so I, I think the Celtics are going to be extremely, extremely good next year. I think they might have the best record in the league. I'm probably going to pick them to come out of the East. And um, look, I, I think that they're probably the favorites overall, even over Denver. I know that Denver should get the respect of a defending champion and I do respect them and I think they're going to be really good and they've got a really good chance to uh, repeat potentially. Um, but I think the Celtics team is just, whew, they look real good right now, real good. So from the Portland side of things, this is going to end up looking like a really, really nice haul for them. Overall, they sent out Damian Lillard and they acquired DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Tumani Kamara as well from the Suns, and then three unprotected first-round picks. Actually, sorry, one of them is top four protected. Um, so three first-round picks, and then two unprotected swaps with the Bucks. Uh, not to mention that I find it very hard to believe that Malcolm Brogdon will finish the season on Portland. I don't know if he's going to be traded before the season or they're going to wait till into the season, but he's definitely going to get traded at some point. No teams were interested in him already. And I think he probably will net at least one first-round pick. I think that that's a reasonable haul for him. So if that happens, they'd be looking at four first-round picks, two pick swaps, DeAndre Ayton, um, 
and Robert Williams really as the main pieces. So that's a really nice haul in my opinion. I mean, Aiton and Rob Williams are both still young. Aiton's 25. I think Rob Williams is 26. Um, I know it's not ideal maybe to have the, the two centers coming back. So maybe they'll move Williams as well. Um, I think he's probably more likely to get moved than Aiton just because Aiton's contract makes it a little more difficult. I don't know what, what contenders are able to move enough salary to get him, whereas Robert Williams makes like 10 to $15 million. So it's a very, very movable contract. Um, and given the contract, I think he actually might get you more assets from a pick perspective. I think Robert Williams could go for minimum one pick, maybe two picks. Um, so if that happened, they could end up basically with Aiden and like six picks and two swaps. So those Milwaukee swaps could be really, really valuable too if Giannis eventually does move on. I mean, I know that that roster is getting up there in age, so I think he's going to be there for at least the next three three years or so. But beyond that, there's still no guarantees. He might sign a shorter contract. Um, the Celtics pick could be valuable as well um, just because they might be relatively depleted of assets soon-ish. Um, and then some of the guys are older. I mean, Horford's 37, Drew Holiday's 33. Um, but ultimately, I mean, they do have a pretty young core overall, so that pick might not be um, too, too, too great. But regardless, um, they've got a really solid core now. I mean, between Scoot Henderson, who's only 19, Anthony Simons, who's 24, Shaden Sharp, who's 20, Aiden's 25, Rob Williams, 26. They've even got guys like Chris Murray, uh, who will be a rookie this year. His brother was really impressive last year with Sacramento. So if he's anything like that, that's going to be a nice uh, player to have for them. They've got some other players, a little bit more veteran. I mean, I'm going to say veteran, but like Matisse Thibault is still <laughs> what is it, 25, I think. Um, and then Jeremy Grant, who's going to be a very, very movable piece. They'll probably keep him um, for most of this season, I would think. I mean, I know he can't be traded. Uh, right away anyway because he just signed his deal but he's an asset um, he, he's another one of those guys that could have a very nice uh, season if he embraces a little different of a role um, if he takes the Aaron Gordon Aaron Andrew Wiggins route and settles in nicely as like a third or fourth option which we have seen him do a little bit with uh, back when he was with OKC, but I think he's improved even since then as an offensive player. So I still think we could see an even better version of him potentially. Um, but he he would probably net maybe two first round picks, at least one. Um, so if they really want to blow this thing up, they can, and they would have a bevy of first round picks to work with, um, not only just to draft players, but also if they want to make a move again at some point. But yeah, I think it's a great young <laughs> core. I, I, I actually think they're going to be probably better than you might think this season. I mean, I'm super high on Scoot. I think he really has a chance to even win Rookie of the Year, even given the fact that Wembenyama is a rookie. I think he could come in and average 17-7 and seven right away. I don't think he'll be super efficient. Uh, still has to work on his shot a little bit, but I think he's going to be productive. I think he's going to be exciting. Um, he's produced at every level he's been at, and I don't think that's going to change now, especially that he's kind of going to get handed the keys of the offense as the lead guard. And then, look, when you got Jeremy Grant and DeAndre Ayton, are these guys perfect players? Absolutely not. Should they be your first or second option? No. But they are absolutely guys that can average 20 a night when given the uh, volume to do so. I mean, Ayton was on a contender and averaging 17, 18, and then we've seen Grant average 20 multiple times. So they've got legit players that can score um, in Grant and Ayton. They've got a 
super, super intriguing young point guard in Scoot Henderson. And that's not even to mention uh, Shaden Sharp had a really nice rookie year. I'm very high on him. Um, I think he could break out in a big way over the next few seasons. He's still super young. Um, so, I mean, he, <laughs> he even if he doesn't break out for two, three years, he's still going to be 23 at that point or something, um, 22. So he's got time. And then Simons is one of the best volume three-point shooters in the NBA. Um, shot around 40% over the last few years. And he's also a proven 20-point-per-game scorer. So they've got three guys that could average 20 points per game um, in the right role. Um, and that's not even to mention Scoot who or uh, Sharp, who have potential to do so. We just don't know um, if they'll be able to do it in the next coming years. But, yeah, I, I think this is a huge win for them. I don't really have much else to say. I mean, they definitely did better than they would have if they'd taken the Miami deal. Um, I think this was a fair deal for everyone involved. Like, look, Boston, that was a legitimate uh, haul they gave up to get Holiday. Like, two, two basically unprotected firsts and Brogdon and Williams. Like, Brogdon and Williams are, like, top 75 players in the league, basically. Like, they're not just, like, throw-in salaries. They're legitimately good players that would net you assets if you dealt them elsewhere. Um, plus the two picks, so... They gave up a good amount to get him, and then Milwaukee gave up a good amount to get Dame. I mean, Drew Holiday, We, I, I just said he went for a haul, so they give him, and then they also got Aiden and um, a pick and two swaps. So really, really nice job by Portland overall. Um, again, the, the book may not even be closed on this deal uh, or just the ripple effects of what they end up getting in total for Dame just because Robert Williams could could potentially be moved, uh, though I do think they said they want to keep him. Um, and then Brogdon as well could uh, uh, likely will be moved, I would think, over the next uh, few weeks or months into the season or uh, whatnot. So. In terms of the outlook for the rest of the teams who missed out on Holiday or Dame, it doesn't look good. That's why Boston had to pay a decent amount for Holiday, not only because of how good of a player he is, but because they... Their direct competition was like the Sixers, the Heat. I mean, if the Heat got him, I think I'd, I think Heat and Celtics would be on pretty similar level. But now it's not even close. So it's like a win-win. Same with the Sixers. I mean, I'm not sure how they were going to pull that off without Harden being in a deal. And I don't even know if that was an option. But they are just nowhere close now. I mean, Miami and Philadelphia are definitely the big losers here, both of them. I think will take pretty significant steps back this season, particularly if Harden doesn't end up playing for the Sixers or if he plays and doesn't try or if they trade him and it's for not a great haul. Um, I think both these teams could be playing teams. Seriously. I mean, I think the the East is going to have some surprise teams. I, I like the Pacers coming into this year. I think Orlando is going to be better. Um, the Knicks on paper, should be at least as good as they were last year. Same with Cleveland. I mean, both those teams have another year to kind of mesh together. Um, they both did make some decent uh, additions to, uh, to their benches. Um, and, yeah, I just – Miami was a lot closer to missing the playoffs last year than people think. Um, they were literally two minutes away in a game from, from not even making the playoffs. And if Jimmy Butler misses 20 games – their season could come down to something like that. I mean, they, they literally could miss the playoffs if, if him or Bam or someone just miss a little too much time. And then on the Sixers front, I mean, Embiid gives them a decent floor. 
um, as like a, at least a six or seven seed, I'd say. But like if, if they don't have Harden last year or from the team they had last year, like he was really good. He was really good. I know he gets a lot of hate, but during the regular season, he was a all-star player. I mean, he was top 20-ish guy basically for all of last year. And so that loss is going to be significant, not to mention just the internal pressure now of like the clock ticking on Embiid. And then, um, it, yeah, I, I I would not be surprised if these two teams both are 6-7 seed and um, easy first rounds first round exits next year i think the east is a two-man race i don't think it's particularly close if i had to pick a third best team right now i'd probably either say philadelphia or cleveland but um yeah i i think that gap is huge i would be very surprised um barring some injuries i'd be very surprised if milwaukee and boston were not the top two teams in the east and they were not the last two teams standing when we get to the eastern conference finals and to be honest, I think they're the top two favorites in the league. I think I would put them both ahead of the Nuggets right now just based on the improvements they've made and given the fact that the Nuggets got they got worse. I mean, they lost two of their – I was saying earlier they only played seven guys. Well, they lost two of those seven guys. So um, they didn't replace them with anyone. Their bench right now is like Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan, um, and then a lot of unproven guys. Those two guys are proven, but they're past their prime. And honestly, <laughs> the only thing they prove recently is that normally you're better off with them not playing. Um, and then Peyton Watson. I do like Peyton Watson. I think he could be a, a good player, but we need to see it first before I can say for sure. Um, and then Christian Brown obviously showed his flashes, but again, unproven. He hasn't done it consistently. Um, an expanded role. We'll have to see if he's able to rise to the occasion. Um, but outside of that, I mean, they, they're thin. Um, a lot of young guys, a lot of past their prime veterans. So, uh, I think they got worse overall, and I think that both Boston and Milwaukee would beat them in a series right now. Um, but it's going to be really fun just to see what uh, <laughs> that series, uh, Boston-Milwaukee, if they do end up playing, because it adds a whole other wrinkle to it that it's Drew Holiday against his former team. So he's going to be extra motivated. Um, it's just... It's honestly just hilarious that the only reason they were able to get him is because uh, Milwaukee did this. So uh, <laughs> I think they would do it again if they knew that he was going to end up in Boston. I would do it again if I were them just because I do think um, this maximizes their chance. I think that I probably would have had Boston ahead of them before any of these trades went down. Um, but, yeah, it's it's tight. It'll be fun. I'm very excited, um, and I, I'm just ready for the, the preseason even to just start so we can start seeing what these guys kind of look like together. So, And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as I said, today was media day, so training camp starts this week. Uh, I am definitely got a few pods that are queued up over the next few weeks going to drop my top 100 player rankings which I did release uh, a written piece on that on my website if you haven't checked that out. I also am going to do uh, season previews, obviously, both for the Eastern and Western Conference. Um, and I'll do all my preview predictions, best case scenarios for every team, worst case scenarios, why they have reasons to be optimistic, reasons to be pessimistic, everything along those lines. And then um, I will also reveal my picks um, 
not only for the standings, but how I see the postseason playing out as well. Um, but yep, thanks so much again for listening, and I will chat with you soon. Thank you.